You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I am your host, Dr. Hal, and each week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Mike, come to you with the information that doctors talk about in doctor's lounges all over the country. We try to give you some insight about the inside baseball stuff that is being discussed that will affect you and your family and the care that you and your family receive. We try to arm you with that information so that you'll be prepared to advocate for yourselves and for your family. So um, we appreciate you tuning in to this show each week, and uh, we are sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only healthcare think tank in the country that's led entirely by doctors. Um, you should go to our website, which is www.d, the number four, pcfoundation.org. That's d for pcfoundation.org and contribute generously to the Docs for Patient Care Foundation so that we can continue to bring you this show on a regular basis and to... Uh, uh, continue to do the work that we're doing, which is really extensive. We have been going to Washington often. Um, we have been talking with people who are making policy decisions that are going to affect your health care for um, the rest of your lives and perhaps the rest of your children's lives. And uh, you need people like us out there so that uh, the ones who are making these decisions are making informed decisions. So please support the work that we do. Um, You will not be sorry. Um, So uh, I just got back from a little bit of vacation, and uh, it was uh, actually not a full vacation. It was a a working vacation. I got to uh, do surgery at... uh, at uh, Lewis, uh, um, uh, Fort Lewis in Washington State, at uh, at the um, um, Army uh, Hospital there, um, and uh, it was it was quite a uh, an honor to be able to do that, and um, it, we really do uh, owe a debt of uh, gratitude to our military people. I saw some great people out there when I was. Uh, when I was out there and uh, really appreciated the opportunity to uh, to um, participate in educating the uh, young doctors at Madigan Army uh, Medical Center there and operate with them and uh, it was it was really very very uh, uh, appreciated uh, being asked to to be there. Um, the people who listen to this show on a regular basis l- hear the topics about uh, of the day in healthcare. We are talking about single payer systems. We're talking about uh, the the issues surrounding um, the uh, uh, all the Obamacare um, uh, fallout over over the years. We are talking about. Um, direct primary care, all kinds of uh, free market uh, solutions and issues, and um, <clears throat> you know this show, the Doctors Lounge, again is the the show that uh, shares with you the topics that doctors talk about in 
the doctor's lounges in the cafeteria, in the locker room around the country. And doctors are, are no different than each and every one of you. We are talking about the topics of the day. And, um, and, uh, from a medical point of view. And, um, and one of those topics that, uh, gets discussed on, on a regular basis, um, has to do with one of the third rail issues in society today. And that has to do with uh, gender, gender identity, transgender. Um, People um, who are regular listeners of this show have heard me um, uh, get on my soapbox about what um, the militant LGBTQ community has tried to do to my uh, specialty, which is an attempt to shut down the surgery that that I have dedicated my life to, and that others in my specialty have as well. I'm labeled as a baby mutilator by these people because I do surgery on their genitals to uh, to make them appear um, like normal children. Now that makes me a mutilator or makes me a monster because I am deciding on what constitutes normal. Uh, And actually, I'm not deciding. Society is deciding. But now, everything is upside down. Nothing is is, uh, the way it, it was because there is now a new um, orthodoxy, a new woke society that is is uh, really um, pushing an agenda that that if you do not conform to that that agenda, that new way of thinking, you are labeled. You cannot disagree with that new orthodoxy. Otherwise, you will be um, uh, shunned. You will be ridiculed. You will be um, ostracized. It could even cost you your job or your career. Um, we have seen people who have made decisions um, that uh, have uh, really changed the way that we talk about these issues. It's, it's been in the news, um, and I'll touch on it a little bit later, but we've talked, we've seen the, uh, the, the, uh, baker in, uh, in Colorado who would not bake a cake for a, uh, a gay wedding. We have seen the, um, the athletes who are competing as women who are men, but who have transitioned. And we've seen the bathroom ban with the um, people who decide that they are not the gender that they've been assigned and they want to go to a different bathroom. So this issue is really a... a, uh, a, a, a very controversial, very, very difficult issue to talk about. And I thought that I would uh, try to um, unpack some of the, some of the uh, um, th- thoughts behind what's going on and, 
and um, and just really rip the Band-Aid off and expose this raw nerve because it is, it is um, very uh, – it's difficult and it is – it is um, exasperating because if you don't conform to this new way of thinking, if you have a difference of opinion, then that makes you a bad person. So I wanted to uh, start out by talking about transgender. <coughs> so before we actually talk about that, what we really need to do is talk about gender dysphoria and what is what is that because i think that you need to define some terms before you can launch into transgender and a lot of people don't even understand exactly what that means or how we get from boys and girls to transgender so let's start out by talking about gender dysphoria which basically is the disconnect between the assigned gender and the experienced gender. <coughs> I'm finding a cold, so you please bear with me. I apologize for the coughing on the air. I'm, dr- I'm drinking my water, and uh, I will uh, do the best I can to uh, not, not cough into your ears. Um, so... This is gender assignment is something that happens um, when when babies are born. They are, and this is what I do um, uh, for a living. I I am the arbiter of abnormal gender assignment, and that's what pediatric urologists have been charged with for. Um, as long as I have uh, been practicing or training, which started out in the uh, late 1970s. But the um, babies are born and assigned a, a gender, male or female. And um, historically, that has been um, what, um, their, what, what uh, has defined society um, for, for time immemorial, the um, uh, back some some years ago, and I can't pinpoint exactly when this happened. There um, was a a uh, a group of people who um, spoke out. Actually, I can pinpoint this. This babies were were assigned. Uh, a gender, and if they had genitalia that um, were, were uh, different from the norm, then there would be um, testing done to try to find out who they are, what they are from a male-female standpoint. There were only two genders back in the um, 1970s and and forever before that and and uh and so boys who had no penis or or who had genitalia that appeared to be unusable for a variety of reasons were um sometimes gender converted into girls and um and raised as girls because they didn't have 
the parts necessary to function as males. Now, whether that was the correct decision or an incorrect decision is is really um, moot at this point in time. That was the best information that science um, had at that point in history. And since that time, we've learned a lot of things that have changed the way that um, the, these problems are handled. Uh, but, but for the most part, um, very few children are being gender converted as babies um, anymore. And, and what happened with many of these children was that they were, um, they, they were being raised as girls, but they didn't feel like they were girls. They felt like boys. And so their, uh, they were very unhappy. There is a, there was a very, uh, high incidence of, of, um, psychiatric problems, depression, um, anxiety, other, um, neuropsychiatric problems. There was a high incidence of drug and alcohol abuse and of suicide in these, in this population of people. And this is what led to a moratorium on this kind of surgery and a closer look into um, what was happening with these patients and and why and um, how to better deal with them. And so this whole awakening, if you will, I hate using that word because it, it that we're hearing from the millennial generation this term woke if you're not woke you don't know what's going on um, but from this came a whole new variety of terminology that we're using today and I'm going to get into this and, and try to really uh, unpack a, this issue a little bit better when we come back so, so we're taking a break stay with us The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. So we're back, 
um, in the Doctor's Lounge. Um, we're talking today about the third rail in society, which is um, the LGBTQ community and specifically uh, transgender and what um, this really means and what the implications are if you um, think differently than um, what the the uh, the new left wants people to believe, and they have taken over the narrative. You know, there if you if you have a different opinion, you know, then they are virtue signaling, and if you um, are in disagreement with any of the issues surrounding this topic, then you are um, you are worse than a racist you are it's it's worse than being anti-semitic you are um discriminating against a uh, a class of people that uh that have been um discriminated against according to them more than more than the black race more than the jewish religion it's just it's just really just gone gone crazy the world is totally upside down so so gender dysphoria is a term that came out that that really i think um that was born out of these these children who were who were gender converted and were not um feeling the way that uh they were being raised was consistent with how they felt and and so this whole issue then changed. It moved sideways, and it didn't just involve children who had been um, surgically altered, but it involved people who were growing up not feeling like they were the gender that they were assigned. A boy didn't feel like they were a boy. They felt like they were a girl or vice versa. And um, and so th- a whole new area in psychiatry and in medicine and in social um, science developed um, to look at how people felt about these issues. And so um, diverting from one's assigned gender was termed gender nonconformity, and it's been reported as early as two or three when children become aware of the notion of gender and they assert the fact that, no, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl, or no, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. And this is something <coughs> that that we have um, seen actually happen as part of normal development in children. I am I am touching on these nerves on the third rail and and our producer David Moxley is just itching to get into this discussion. I was just curious how uh, after the surgery or whatever whatever decisions are made, how much hormonal treatment and is does that go on for life? I'm getting I'm getting into that. Oh, so okay. I'm 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 so glad that you brought that up because. I this is something that I'm trying to get um established so that people understand this this terminology because you know there's there's gender dysphoria there's gender nonconformity 
it it is a spectrum until you get to transgender. So so transgender is specific. It's when people transition from the gender of assignment to the opposite gender. That's what transgender actually means. So it's one of the things that got me interested in talking about this subject is the literature that I am reading on a regular basis now about children who are now being identified as being as having gender nonconformity and then gender dysphoria and they are being pushed by a compliant culture into the position of transgender they're being assisted they're being they're being encouraged to move in this direction when this is part of normal child development to question your gender because you become aware of gender at two or three and some children are not quite clear about their gender and it requires role models to help them to transition and be the gender that they were assigned based on their the way that they look, which is called their phenotype, based on their chromosomes, which is called their karyotype, whether they're XX or XY, based on the hormones that they produce in their body. So if there's some confusion along the way, that's in the past, that has been felt to be part of normal development. And children have confusion about lots of different things in life, and it requires parents and other role models to help them to transition through this very questionable or very confusing time in life. You know, toilet training. Toilet training is something that that I get asked about on a weekly basis by the people who come to see me. And I try to tell them, you know, there's a period of time where you go from being a a baby with with um, bladders and rectums that can't control things until you go through this phase of some disorder, and it is not it's not you know a smooth transition, but it's a it is a a, a very hectic time in in people's lives and those of you who've raised children know what I'm talking about you don't go from being in diapers to being completely socially acceptable in a smooth in a smooth pathway it doesn't just happen with a snap of your fingers it's messy and the same can be said about in many children about gender identity it's not smooth it's messy and I'll use the metaphor about toilet training. If you just don't help children through that period of time and they let that and you just let them be, let them leave them to their own devices or you or worse, you encourage them to just continue to 
to poop and pee in their diapers or on the floor or anywhere else, they will go off the rails because they don't have the guidance. They don't have the 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 um, the uh, really the 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 pathway to transition through. Gender is not all that together different because we're born with certain parts that that and a certain gender that you're assigned and and hopefully everything works together sometimes it doesn't but if it's not a transition that's happening in a smooth way you don't just say oh we're going to let the child be what they want to be and encourage that you try to make sure that that you're helping them transition through that period in a in a way that that um, helps them to to uh, get through that messy period, and some children don't, and and that doesn't necessarily mean that um, that's a problem. That's the, those are the children that probably have a, a th- there's more working than just the normal developmental stuff because ge- because gender uh, identity is is multifactorial and it starts in the womb it starts with how the brain is imprinted how the neural connections are made it is dependent on um, the uh, the hormones that are ex- that the brain is exposed to. So there are many factors that that are at play, and we don't understand all of those factors. But to say that children who are confused about their gender should be um, encouraged to be whoever they feel like they want to be, I think is a form of child abuse. And I think that you have to help these children. Now, some children just are not going to be what they appear to be. And that smaller subset are the children that really we are going to need to focus on. And so this problem, it's not pro- its not a problem. I, I, and if I misspeak or say things um, out, out of context, it's not because I'm prejudiced or it's not because I am not sensitive. I just may misspeak about a few of these issues as we speak through this. But this whole issue is is a bigger issue today than it really should be, and that's because we have got a compliant culture that is encouraging this whole movement in this direction and not helping many of these children transition through this messy period in their life. And I'm going to go more into this when we get back into the next segment, so please stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. So we're back, and um, I just want to remind everyone about the uh, direct primary care conference in November in Orlando that is uh, put on by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. This will be our fourth annual conference. It is without question the best conference on direct primary care in the country. And I I don't use those uh, platitudes lightly. It truly is. And anybody who is out there who is involved in health care and is thinking about um, uh, becoming a direct primary care doctor or wants to uh, get involved in the direct primary care movement or if you are already a direct primary care doctor and you want to uh, learn how you can improve your practice, I strongly encourage you to uh, come to Orlando in November. I, I don't have the exact date in front of me, but please check our website, www.d, the number 4pcfoundation.org, and all that information is on there. We're also streaming live on Facebook on America's Web Radio, and I would love like to and on and on YouTube, and I would like to uh, uh, just remind everybody that uh, you should uh, uh, tune in regularly and uh, see um, where you know you can you can follow us on that, and uh, and uh, I encourage you to send questions in on Facebook, and we'll try to uh, you know this this is probably you know a topic that a lot of people have some some uh, thoughts about, and and I would love to uh, get your your input and, and respond to it. So, um, so the the the, the um, normal development is for there to be some kind of uh, of uh, um, uh, gender nonconformity in children, and it is an absolute normal part of development for children to explore various modes of gender expression throughout childhood. And some children don't associate with either gender, and they remain gender neutral. And um, and so this small subset of children that I think exists are the ones that need to be um, helped. And they need, uh, well, everybody needs help. But these are the ones who are likely not comfortable in the gender that they're assigned. And uh, these are the children that I really think are are the group that is is in need of of uh, uh, multi specialty um, uh, uh, assistance to uh, help them get to where they need to be in life. 
Um, puberty suppression is a is something that has been uh, recommended to try to buy time for these children who um, are um, feeling that they are non. Uh, conforming from a gender standpoint or who have gender dysphoria. And um, it's typically been recommended to start hormone treatment to change your gender at age 16. And this has been considered best practice standards by the transgender community and by the endocrinology associations. But this is now in a state of flux. Let me, um, uh, first of all, um, talk about the fact that um, that there is uh, a children's hospital, Akron Children's Hospital, that has opened the Center for Gender Affirming Medicine. And this center will offer services to children as young as seven, um, which to me is really pushing the envelope. And it is um, uh, something that I think is, as I've said in the last segment, somewhat dangerous and to, to um, really uh, encourage children to uh, move in this direction without really trying to help them to identify who they really are. Now, I will tell you that I have personal experience with some children who, as young as six, knew that they were not the gender that were assigned. That does not necessarily mean that that child needs to be um, given hormone treatment at age six, but they do need to be given resources to help them to decide, are they really truly um, a, 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 a person who is feeling that they're of the wrong gender assignment, or are they just having gender confusion? And if you can help them through that, then that subset of children who comes through that process, who has truly the sense that they're in the wrong um, gender assignment. Those are the children that that need to be given the support and the the resources and the treatment to help them move on to the next stage. So, a center like the one at Akron Children's Hospital lists the services that they have available, which is education, supportive care. Um, gender-affirming hormones, pubertal suppression, mental health care coordination, and preventative care. And in this center, parents get to interact with social workers, nurse coordinators, mental health specialists, and endocrinologists. Now, lest you think that I am being a Neanderthal or a, I am being a... Um, a homophobe or, tra- or a, a transphobe, that's not it at all. I am objecting to um, making these decisions for children before they are capable of really truly knowing for themselves. And I worry that there are people around the country now who are giving hormones not 
hormone suppression, but hormones to, to um, help these children transition from one gender to the next or to the other way, way sooner than they should be um, exposing them to this. And that is really the issue. And I think that that doing so is, in my opinion, child abuse. And parents who allow that to happen should be um, should be charged with child abuse. And it's just the opposite now. The this this militant community is saying that people who express opinions like mine are the abusers. They're the ones who are being um, bigoted, being um, being prejudiced and not helping these children who are clearly um, uncomfortable with who they are to move forward and to um, be the person that they want to become. And, um, and I think that th- this is a very, very difficult situation, a very gray zone. It is not black and white. And, uh, and so herein lies the issue because if you disagree with this orthodoxy if you do not conform to this new woke way of thinking you are labeled transphobic you're a hater it could really truly cost you your job or your career and if if you think that's hyperbole i will uh, share with you a story that came out last week about a doctor who lost his career he was a um, he was the head of child and adolescent psychiatry at the University of Louisville School of Medicine, and he appeared on a panel at the Heritage Foundation. And this professor is an expert on child and adolescent psychiatry and this whole issue about gender. And um, and he was. Um, Previously, on the faculty of other well, um, um, uh, pr- well-respected medical schools in the past, uh, medical school of Medical College of Georgia, the University of Minnesota Medical uh, School, and the Heritage Foundation had a panel which was called "Gender Dysphoria in Children: Understanding Science and Medicine." Science and medicine, and and so he opined about this with a panel talking about his position about um, about uh, the uh, about this whole topic and um, and that he disagreed with this orthodoxy and um, it got uh, it got distributed to to the uh, to the thought police and uh, they contacted the University of Louisville, and they uh, demoted him first because he had an opinion that was different than this new woke community. And then, um, if that wasn't enough, they filed a motion to get him kicked off of the, of the faculty, which they did. And so... What what I'm I'm what I'm saying right now today could possibly get me get me 
kicked off of a medical staff because I disagree with this whole this whole movement to allow children as as young as as uh, as seven to change their gender and and uh, be, because because that's how they feel and and if I disagree with that then that could potentially cost me my job or my career that's certainly happening in academia it is um it's it's hap- and and in medicine this doctor was an academic doctor it cost him both his his medical practice and his academic practice and so we're at a time right now where um Right is left, left is right, black is white and white is black, day is night and night is day. Nothing is as it seems. And if you disagree, if you, if you, God forbid, say something that is now a controversial issue but is um, not part of this whole new awakening, then you are putting yourself in jeopardy to uh, be uh, to be ostracized um, ridiculed um, slandered uh, uh, lose your lose your lose everything that you've you've spent your whole life um, uh, building this is this whole issue about transgender is such an important issue because it is covering just about every aspect of life in America. Um, we talked a little bit about the NCAA, about athletics and transgender, and you know we um, uh, there have recently been been um, the uh, N- the this person uh, who uh, just won. Division two championship in the 100 and 400 uh, meter hurdles, C.C. Telfer. And C.C. Telfer is a male by birth who transitioned and became a female and competed as a female and, uh, and, and won national championship as a female. And... Um, not a day goes by that we're not hearing about this controversy in the in the uh, in the media about girls who are filing lawsuits against transgender girls who are competing against them. These girls who are biological girls who are competing as girls are. Um, at a disadvantage, and 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 that's because they're competing against males. And the NCAA has a policy about this, and I'm going to read this policy to you when we get back in the next segment. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back in the doctor's lounge for the last segment. We've talked about the third rail issue, which is transgender. And um, I want to read to you the NCAA policy on transgender. So a trans male, which is a female to male uh, transition, is one who has received medical exception for treatment with testosterone, and they may compete as a man, but not on a woman's team. A trans female, which is a male-to-female, is a a, a, uh, male that's been treated with testosterone suppression and who may compete on a men's team, but may not compete on a women's team until they have completed one year of suppression. Any transgender athlete not taking hormones may compete in accordance with the gender assigned to them at birth. A female-to-male athlete not taking testosterone may compete as a man or a woman, but a male-to-female athlete not taking hormones may not compete on a woman's team. So this whole transgender issue has thrown athletics into a complete tizzy. And um, and so the, uh, the whether or not this is an issue that should even be allowed to exist or there should be a separate a competition for for transgender athletes just as there is for disabled athletes and I'm not saying that transgender is disabled but can you imagine if you had um, a Bruce Jenner in their prime competing um, in women's athletics how unfair that is to the women who have spent their entire life training as as women athletes? I, I can't think of anything more egregious. So you know, maybe maybe there there needs to be you know male athletics, female athletics, and then transgender athletics, just like you have the Special Olympics. You know, bathrooms, male bathrooms, female bathrooms, and then transgender bathrooms you know i'm not i'm not being glib and i'm not being 
um, angry about it. I'm just saying that there are many people who have grievances and who have legitimate arguments and who have their own rights. And I'm not for a second dismissing the rights of people who don't conform with the norms of society. But their rights should not um, impinge on the rights of other people. And so if you if one wishes to to recognize this group and and I think that they should be recognized, it shouldn't be at at the same on the same playing field necessarily no pun intended as as those who are following a a certain set pattern of quote norms and to try to fit a round peg into a square hole just because it feels good is not fair to a whole nother set of individuals and so it's why should one's people one group's rights supersede those of another group and that what i think one can make a very strong and compelling argument for what i've just suggested so i'm going to finish up this whole topic today with a very um provocative um kind of uh um point of view and that has to do with um the transgender um, affairs that cross many boundaries. It crosses politics, it crosses medicine, psychology, law, and everyone involved in these different aspects of this issue has a contribution to, to make. It's how, because how we view gender affects all of us, whether it is doctors who are taking care of patients, um, whether it is which bathroom you're going to use, whether it is who gets to compete on a playing field or who gets to bake a cake. These are, these are issues that really should not be confrontational, but they should be really, it, it should be somewhat of a um, collaboration where everybody with an opinion about this and who has a contribution to make about this is heard. One thing that, one area where the answer might lie is in neuroscience. And we're not there yet. I started out by saying that this whole issue may come up as early as prenatally because of how the brain responds to the certain hormones that the brain that the baby is exposed to in utero and how that brain responds how it is imprinted is going to determine how it works going forward and that has been shown with various studies using various tests on men and women using brain scans, PET scanning, which is um, a, a, a very specialized type of, of uh, imaging study that uh, is mostly experimental now, but there's applications in actual clinical medicine that are, are uh, 
promising for the future. Um, but but another area beside imprinting, which is the the um, the the way that certain chemicals affect the connections of the brain is is called epigenics and epigenics is how the environment affects the 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 um the chromosomes or the phenotype so there are genes that people have in their body and some genes are are um they they are not expressed they just are there other genes are expressed and they produce certain um, certain uh, uh, chemicals that lead to certain reactions in the body. This is this is all you know somewhat somewhat uh, uh, confusing stuff. But researchers have found that um, that there's a fourfold difference in the expressed genes in a 50-year-old twin set of twins than three-year-old twins. So what does that mean? It means that in the environment, if you take a pair of identical twins at age three, many of their genes are not expressed. They are, they are just sitting there dormant. In a fi- if you take a pair of 50-year-old twins and you look at the genes that are there that had not been expressed but are expressed in, in, as time goes on, that there's a fourfold difference in the gene expression between a, f- a three-year-old and a 50-year-old. And the gene expression is different in those twins, in those identical twins. So the environment is going to influence how genes are expressed. So let's pull this back to transgender. If the environment affects how genes are expressed, that can influence the expression of gender at the brain level. And that's what we we are what researchers are now seeing so let me end this with a with a a theoretical and controversial um, question that everybody should ask themselves so if centers can be determined in the brain that can affect gender and if it can be determined whether the center in the brain is expressing gender other than the assigned gender that conforms with the way that they look. And if this can be modified, if the expressed gender is different than the assigned gender, in other words, if somebody looks like a man but they think they're a woman and they can identify that center in the brain that's allowing that to happen, would it be ethical to fix that center if it could be altered to make the gender that the person feels conform with the gender that they are assigned based on their body parts. Because that is what researchers are looking at, and that is the question, whether or not 
that's okay to do, whether or not we should be looking at that or whether it's not not okay, and whether that's that's gene modification and that is eugenics and that's like trying to determine before the baby, you know, right after conception, whether or not you're going to get a boy or a girl. But if you can do this, then is that even ethical? And that is a very uh, controversial um, and uh, uh, difficult question that uh, I think we should be uh, asking ourselves because clearly you've got people out there who are hurting and and we can if if there's a possibility of uh, making everything concordant, that means to work together to really mesh together. Should we even be thinking that, or is that uh, is that uh, you know uh, fascist total totalitarian thought? And I don't have the answer for that, but but I thought that I would leave on that note. So I know that this was a, a tough topic to talk about, and it was a controversial topic and one that's in the news on a regular basis. And I, and I wanted to weigh in and give my opinion about what I thought this was all about regarding children especially, which is something that I have um, a, uh, a 35-year uh, uh, experience with. So thank you for being with us today, and I look forward to uh, being back with you in two weeks with uh, a guest that I'm working on that will hopefully uh, uh, we'll talk about healthcare transparency. So thanks for being with us. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.